This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Well, good morning, church. My name is Paul Aiken, and it is a joy to be with you. I've been looking forward to this for some time. I wanted to start by just saying thank you. Uh, Thank you from all of us at Southern Seminary and Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, We are grateful for your church, grateful for the partnership that we get to share in the gospel. If you ever find yourself in or near Kentucky, we'd love to have you on our campus to drop by and just say hello. Uh, I was encouraged earlier to meet several folks who are studying with us, either online or some who've even sent their kids all the way from here to Kentucky to hang out uh, with us in Louisville at Boyce College, and we are Uh, grateful. Uh, I'm also grateful for your pastor. Uh, I think you all know this, but you are tremendously blessed to have a pastor and a shepherd like Matt Boswell. And he did not ask me to do this, but will you just take a moment and let him know how grateful you are for him, how much you appreciate him? Now, I need to, just to give you a heads up this morning, uh, I am, am here today, but I'm a little bit kind of simultaneously on cloud nine, but also kind of running on fumes, and I can give you some background as to why that's the case. Uh, we're in Texas, so football is always a good thing to chat about in Texas. Uh, yesterday, my son, who's 14, uh, just to give some background on my family, I'm married to my wife, Carrie been married for 16 and a half years. We have four kids, a 14-year-old boy, and then three girls, 12, 10, and 8. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. But my son, 14, is a freshman in high school, and his team yesterday at noon played in the 3A state championship in football in Kentucky. Now, football in Kentucky is not quite as big as football is here in Texas. High school football, I understand that. But still kind of a big deal, and uh, his team won 38 to 0. So uh, finished an undefeated season. It was kind of a big deal for our family. Everybody was, was pumped and excited. Uh, but that game was at noon, and that was an hour away from the city where I'm in. And so made it back to my hometown, Louisville, and then figured out how to hop onto a plane. And I made it here. I think I landed at like 1045 last night. Finally got to the place I'm staying around midnight and fell asleep sometime around 1 and then was up early this morning Uh, studying through Psalm 130. So I'm on cloud nine, but also kind of running on fumes this morning, but uh, excited to be here. I was born in Dallas, and so in many ways this feels like I'm coming back home, and it's good to be back in the Republic of Texas, and uh, excited about all of those things, but even more excited than a state championship football game or being back here in Dallas, I'm excited to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, We all know this book is, is a treasure, and God uses it to instruct us, to encourage us, to convict us. And I pray that he would do that as we study his word this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, middle of the Bible. We're in the midst of Christmas season, Christmas season and Psalm 130, I think, is a, a helpful Christmas Advent psalm for us to consider this morning. But before I read the text, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I want to ask you to kind of think back on your life and reflect a little bit. Can you think of a time in your life when you really had to wait on God? 
a time in your life when you had to wait on the Lord. Maybe a time when you were waiting on him to do something, to reveal something, to make something clear, to, to change events or circumstances. Uh, maybe it was related to a, a job, a spouse, a child, a, an opportunity. I don't know what it was for you, but I think if all of us are honest, we can remember a time in our lives where we had to wait on the Lord. And if you're like me, you're a little bit impatient. And waiting is not something that's a lot of fun. I mean, who likes waiting in the doctor's office or waiting to get your car done or waiting on your kid to get out of practice after school or any of those kinds of things? We don't like to wait, but when we read through the Bible, we see that waiting is a part of the Christian life. And we think about those who have gone before us and who have gone through long seasons and times of suffering and waiting on the Lord. And we come to that kind of moment here in Psalm 130. Uh, there's going to be four truths that I'm going to pull out of this text for us uh, this morning from Psalm 130. And I'm just going to go ahead and state those up front so you know kind of where we're going. Four things that I think the Lord wants us to see from Psalm 130 this morning. One, cry out to the Lord. Two, remember the forgiveness of the Lord, verses three and four. Wait on the Lord, on the Lord verses five and six. And hope in the redemption of the Lord, verses seven and eight. I'm gonna read Psalm 130 for us. The psalmist writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, Psalm 130 is a psalm of ascent. We don't know who wrote this psalm. There's some speculation that maybe it was David who wrote the psalm, but we don't know for certain who wrote it, but what we do know is that Psalm 130 and Psalm 131, just right after it, both conclude with the same exhortation, instructing the people of God to hope in the Lord. And so Psalm 130 serves as a helpful Christmas psalm because of the emphasis of waiting on the Lord and on his forgiveness of sin and ultimate redemption through Christ. So with all of that in mind, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Truth number one, the Lord is telling us in Psalm 130 to cry out to the Lord. From the outset of the psalm, the psalmist cries out from the depths. Verse 1 says, out of the depth I cry to you, O Lord. Now, I, I joked a few moments ago about being on cloud nine, and maybe that's true for me this morning. But we know that our life is not just a constant high or we're on the mountaintops. We know that there are times of valleys, and there's times where we are in, like the psalmist, we're in the depths. Now, we don't know for certain exactly what's going on here with the psalmist in these circumstances, but we know that there is trouble and there is despair that the psalmist is describing here in verses one and two. 
It could be external factors like health challenges, a family conflict, physical pain, suffering. It could be something like that externally. Or it could be something that was more internal. Sin, guilt, matters of the heart. We don't know for certain, but we know that the psalmist is in the depths. And the psalmist is crying out to the Lord from the depths. Has there ever been a time where you have cried out to the Lord from the depths? A time in your life where you were desperate for God's help. You really needed the Lord. You were doing whatever you could do to get his attention. But you were even wondering if he was listening or paying attention to you. God, are you, are you even there? Do you even know what's going on in my situation, in my circumstances? Not long ago, I took a trip to the Middle East. And I was in the, the area that's known as Kurdistan. Uh, If you know much about that part of the world, you know that the Kurds are a stateless people. And they're surrounded by large uh, groups of people that really don't like them. So on one side, you have the Persians in the country of Iran. Uh, In another direction, you have the Arabs. And then in another direction, you have the Turks. And the Turks, the Arabs, and the Persians, none of them like the Kurds. And so you have the Kurds who are this stateless people in northern Iraq, um, but a a Muslim people. And as I was there on this trip, I was visiting with some missionaries who were there, and they said, we want to tell you about this pastor and what's happened to him and his family. And I said, okay, what's going on? They said, well, there's this man whose name is Muhammad. And he grew up here in a Kurdish village, grew up in a Muslim home, but by God's grace, he heard the gospel. And God transformed his life, changed his life. He trusted in Christ for salvation, became a Christian, started sharing that with people in the village, and people started believing and trusting in Christ. Uh, eventually, he found another woman in the same village who was also a Christian. They got married and started having a family, and Muhammad decided he was going to plant a church. You would understand this because this is a church plant. And so he plants a church in his village, in his community, and the Lord is, is blessing it. And the people are gathering around the word, and they're studying scripture together, and then one day, the authorities show up and they remove Muhammad from the house, from the church, and they carry him off to prison. And nobody has any idea where he is, where he's gone, what's happened. But he's left behind a wife and children who have no idea where he is. Sometimes we we might read about these things, but this is real life for some of our brothers and sisters around the world. And so when I read about someone who's crying out to the Lord from the depths, who's crying out to the Lord and asking him to make his ears attentive, I think about Muhammad and his wife. You know, he's, he's in prison and he's wondering, where is the Lord? And his wife is there and day after day, people in the village and in the community, they know that she's a Christian. They'll come up to her and they will mock her. And they'll say to her things like, this is what your God does for you? Where is your God right now? And so as you read Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2, you can hear the desperation behind the voice of the psalmist here, crying out to the Lord. Like Jonah from the belly of the great fish, the psalmist is crying out from the depths and begging God to hear his voice. Lord, where are you? Can you hear me? Please do something. But notice here that the psalmist cries out to the Lord, and in verse 1, the spelling of Lord there is capital L-O-R-D. And we know whenever that's the case that the author is telling us that he's using the covenant name of God, Yahweh, 
It's almost as if the psalmist is trying to remind the Lord, remember, you're the one who made these promises to the patriarchs. You're the one who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hear my voice. Be attentive to my cry. Please show me mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm imagining in a room this size, some of us probably know some people right now who may be in the depths. Maybe you have a, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, somebody that you know that's in, that's in the valley. Uh, they're, they're in trouble. Uh, they're hurting. They're in pain. Uh, and I pray that God might provide you with an opportunity perhaps even this week to minister to them, to encourage them from this word. But the first thing we see in Psalm 130 is a cry out to the Lord. Truth number two, remember the forgiveness forgiveness of the Lord. Remember the forgiveness of the Lord. Verses three and four, the, the psalmist asks in verse three, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And in verse three, we are reminded of our sinful nature. We're reminded that humanity is by nature sinful and wicked before the Lord. Paul writes in Romans three, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. I mentioned earlier that I have four kids and I didn't teach any of them how to sin. That came naturally, right? And those of you who are parents in here, you know how that works. Like, I didn't teach them any of that. It's just, they did it. Uh, And so we see here the sinfulness of humanity, but we also see and we're reminded of the holiness of God. God is holy. He's pure. He's righteous. There's no sin in him. And when you compare the holiness of God with the sinfulness of man, there is no comparison. The psalmist knows that no one can stand before a holy God. And he's expressing what we all intuitively feel in our hearts whenever we're in trouble. We know that when we stand before the Lord, we are guilty. But church, I'm I'm here to tell you this morning that there's good news. And the good news is that with God, there is forgiveness. Verse four, but with you, There is forgiveness. This is a a breathtaking reality. All of us are unworthy to stand before a holy God. But God in his kindness opens a door to us. And he is a forgiving God. And this is really, really good news. This is why we celebrate Christmas. The good news of the gospel became very real to me not long ago when I had an opportunity to travel on a short-term mission trip to the Amazon jungle. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the Amazon jungle in here. All right, there's a couple of hands in here. I see a couple of hands up here, so you, you guys can, can uh, testify to what I'm saying. I've never been in a place that's more unique, more maybe difficult to get to, more remote than the Amazon jungle. Now, I know that this church loves to do what you guys call family camp, and I love that. I think it's one of the coolest things in the world, and I know you all like to go to Colorado, but maybe one day you could consider the Amazon jungle. Uh, I was joking earlier. I can see kind of like, you know, the little flyer of the program that says like, join the Boswells in the jungle. And Matt could be like swinging from a vine or something like that, you know. Uh, could be epic, just saying. But it's a really difficult, unique, challenging place. And so to get there, we had to get on a plane and fly seven hours to one town in Brazil. And then we flew two hours to another place in Brazil. And then we had a 30-minute drive and then we had a two-hour boat ride. And then we had an eight-mile hike, and we finally got to the village that we were trying to get to. 
And as we got to this village, you know, I started asking some questions. Probably should have done a little bit more homework on the front end, but like, hey, okay, great. Glad we're in this village here with these indigenous people. Where are we going to be sleeping? And they said, well, you can't sleep on the floor here because we have these things in the jungle called leaf cutter ants. Like, what are leaf cutter ants? They said, well, they're strong enough to bite through your entire backpack. Like, all right, I don't want to sleep on the floor then. Uh, They said, so you're going to sleep kind of suspended in like a hammock kind of net kind of thing. I'm like, all right, great. So we have leafcutter ants. What kind of other animals are there here in the Amazon jungle? And they said, well, we have, you know, anacondas, but just, you know, steer clear of those guys. Okay. Uh, We have bushmaster snakes. I'm like, all right, tell me about the bushmaster snake. They said, well, if it bites you, we'll try to get you back to the boat, (laughs) but we probably won't make it. Okay. What other animals? They said, well, we also have jaguars. I'm like, the only jaguar I know is the football team in Jacksonville. What about the real jaguar? They said, well, their jaws are strong enough to bite through a human skull. But you don't have to worry about the jaguar because they only come out at night when you're sleeping. (laughs) Suspended in the air. Uh, in fact, at one point while we were there, we ended up walking with these, these local villagers and we found fresh jaguar droppings. And uh, you could see kind of immediately the fear in their eyes, which put fear in us. Uh, so all that to say, we're there in the jungle and we're experiencing these things. And at night, as you can imagine, when the sun goes down, it gets really, really dark, really, really fast. I mean, there's no electricity you have the canopy of the trees, and so immediately the sun goes down. It gets really dark. So we would cook our dinner at night over a fire. And as we're cooking dinner, as we're eating food, we would kind of do what you typically do around a fire. We would talk, and we would share stories. And they would tell us stories about their villages, and we would share stories with them from the Bible. And through a translator, the last night that we were there together, we had the opportunity to walk through the entire gospel story. We talked about God as creator, We talked about the reality of sin. We talked about the promise of a redeemer and a Messiah. We talked about who Christ is and what he accomplished for us on the cross. We shared the good news and the salvation that is made available to us through Christ. And we did all that through a translator. And as we did it, there was a moment of complete silence for probably two minutes. And these men, you could tell, were just kind of thinking and reflecting on what they were hearing and what we had shared with them. And finally, through a translator, one of the men said, This is really good news. We've never heard that story before. Can you send more people to share stories like that with us? And friends, as we look at a passage like Psalm 130, verse 4, with you there is forgiveness. That's the, the greatest news in all the world. Our God is a God of forgiveness and grace. And the only proper response to that kind of grace and mercy is reverential awe and worship. So church, remember the forgiveness of the Lord. Truth number three, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Based on the forgiveness, grace, and mercy of God, the psalmist is now prepared to wait. Early on, he's crying out. Now he can wait. He writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Three times in these verses, the psalmist says that he waits 
on the Lord. And we talked earlier about how we really struggle with this concept of waiting. We live in an instant culture, right? We live in an Amazon, DoorDash, Grubhub culture where whatever we want, we can get it immediately. And so we want the house that we want and we want it now. We don't like to wait. We want the job that we want and we want it now. We want the promotion and we want it now. We want to get married and we want to get married now. We want to get pregnant now. We want to lose weight now. We want to buy new clothes now. You name it and we want it and we want it immediately. We really struggle with this notion of waiting. What does it truly mean to wait on the Lord? I can't think of any more clear description of genuine biblical faith than being willing to wait on the Lord and trust in his word. And that's exactly what the psalmist is calling us to here. He says, wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I find my hope. Like the watchman who waits for the morning, the psalmist lives with an expectant hope that the Lord is going to deliver him from the depths of despair and discouragement. Now, this language of the watchman reminds me of a game that we like to play in our house. Raise your hand if you're a fan of Nerf guns in here. Yeah, I guess. See, yeah, you guys down here down front look like you would love some Nerf guns, right? So in our house, we have about 12 Nerf guns. So when our friends' kids come over, and sometimes even when their parents come over, we like to have Nerf Wars. Now, I, I uh, being fully honest and not being prideful, I tend to win the Nerf Wars. My kids haven't quite figured out yet why I win. I wish I could say because I'm like a sniper and I'm a great shot. Uh, I wish I could say because I'm super quick like a Jaguar, but it, that's not the case. The reason I win, I can tell you, is because whenever we start the game, I like to start upstairs. Now, why do I start upstairs? Well, because upstairs gives me the most unique vantage point. I can see everything clearly when I'm upstairs. And here we have this watchman. The, the, the imagery here is of these watchmen who were protecting the city. And they'd be up high in the tower looking over the city, waiting for the sun to rise to know, yes, we did our job and we protected the city while it was night. There's a sense of clarity in the watchtower. When we wait in the watchtower, we can see clearly. And it's here in the watchtower that the watchman rests in the revelation and in the providence of God. The psalmist, like you and me, he, he has concerns. He has questions. He's confused at times. But the psalmist knew that God had spoken to his people through his word. And he knew that he could place his hope in God's revealed word. You know, this is really instructive for us, I think. The, the, the problem for us isn't that we don't get answers from the Lord. We get answers from the Lord. The problem is that we don't get them when we want them. And sometimes the Lord just wants us to wait and rest in him. And so here the Lord is instructing us to, to wait and rest in his revelation and in his providence. And the psalmist retreats to the guard post. He waits in the watchtower, resting in the revelation and in the providence of God. So Christian this morning, wait on the Lord. In a world of instant gratification, in a world where you can get what you want whenever you want it, be willing to wait on the Lord. Finally, truth number four, hope in the redemption of the Lord. What began in verses one and two with a cry for help from the depths of despair 
now concludes with a confident exhortation of redemption. The psalmist boldly declares in verses seven and eight, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You know, all of us are going to face challenges, suffering, difficulty, hardship at some point in our lives. That's just the reality of living in a fallen world. So it's not if you're going to face hardship or suffering, it's when you're going to do that. But you know, in those seasons of suffering, in those seasons of hardship, we actually have a choice. We can choose despair or we can choose hope. And here the the psalmist is calling on the entire nation of Israel to put their faith, their hope, their trust in the Lord. And this exhortation, this, this promise of plentiful redemption is pointing the reader forward to the Messiah, to the Redeemer, to the one who ultimately is going to bring redemption, not just for the people of Israel, but the one who's going to bring redemption and hope for people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. You know, Kent shared at the very beginning of our time about people in India. And the reality is is there are, as he mentioned, three billion people around the world today who have little to no access to the gospel. You say three billion people, Paul, I have a hard time even fathoming what that means. That just sounds like a number that goes in one ear and out the other. Well, let me explain to you. Three billion people, what that means is right now, There are 3 billion people around the world who are being born and they're living their entire lives and they're dying without ever hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet here we read in this text, Psalm 130, verse 7, with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so this Christmas season reminds us that the Messiah did come that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he died the death that we deserve to die on the cross, that he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven. But one day, he's gonna come back. We've had the first advent, but soon there's going to be a second advent. And when he comes back the second time, he's going to make all things new. Until that day, the psalmist is calling us to trust him, to wait for him and to live our lives in joyful anticipation of this second coming. And as we wait, he's encouraging us, do not put your hope in yourself. Do not put your hope in a Christian author or a pastor or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in what he did for you on the cross. On the cross, he took the punishment that you and I deserved His sacrifice on the cross covered over all of our sin. And in the resurrection, he demonstrated victory over sin and over death. Jesus did it. He accomplished what we could not accomplish. And so Psalm 130 today tells us, cry out to the Lord. Remember his forgiveness. Wait on the Lord. Hope in the redemption of the Lord. I want to close our time together with some lyrics uh, from a modern hymn that's written about this chapter. It's actually called Psalm 130. I will wait for you. And this is what the lyrics to the song say. Out of the depths I cry to you. In darkest places 
I will call. Incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. Were you to count my sinful ways, how could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. Yeah, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you till my soul is satisfied. So put your hope in God alone. Take courage in his power to save. Completely and forever one by Christ emerging from the grave. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are mindful of our own sinfulness and our own fallenness before you. Father, not one of us could stand before your throne. We all are guilty sinners in need of a savior. But Father, we thank you for this time of the year where you remind us that you sent a savior, that you sent a Messiah, that you sent a redeemer. We celebrate the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. This is the greatest news in all of the world. Father, we pray that we would not be timid to share that message with those who need to hear it. Father, during this time of the year when people want to talk about gifts and events and parties and all the other things, Lord, I pray that we would find a way to talk about the Redeemer sent from heaven to provide salvation and forgiveness for all. Father, I pray that we would wait patiently, that we would wait faithfully, that you would help us to put our hope in Christ. Father, impress upon our hearts the the ways in which we can live this text out in our own lives. And we pray ultimately that you would use us to accomplish your mission and your purpose in the world. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.